Welcome to the Agile Career Podcast, where we will take you on the journey from employed for life to employable for life. We'll give you the tips, insights, and strategies to help you build the transferable skills that you'll need. So let's get started. Please welcome your host, Gunter Richter. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Agile Career Podcast. As you know, I'm always excited to introduce guests to you, and uh, well, today is no exception. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about having a career with purpose and what some of the options might be to find a career with purpose. My guest today is Bruno DePolo, who is a certified leadership executive and career coach. Bruno is a keynote speaker and also a corporate trainer. So Bruno, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much, Gianter. It's a pleasure to be here. Do you want to, I mean, I've given a sort of brief intro to you, but do you want to introduce yourself in a little bit more detail and share with the listeners what it is you do as a, as a certified coach? Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. So I'm a certified executive leadership and career coach. What that means is that I work with a lot of clients either to help them find their ideal career or how to make changes to their career so that they can feel fulfilled and alive. Or, <clears throat> sorry, I help them improve their leadership style. What that means is, again, is having a, a leadership style that is, truly that is truly resonant with who they are so that they can move in their role fluidly. Now, while this is sort of what every coach does, there's something different that I do from the others. So I guess you're more curious about what's different in my approach rather than what normally coaches do. And a few years ago, I developed a huge interest in the brain, mostly for my personal reason. I wanted to understand how to do better, how to feel better, how to regulate my emotion, how to handle stress. And the more I was reading and studying, the more I realized that my interest was going in one specific topic, which was the brain. So the more I learned about these, the more it became natural to me to explain to my clients the dynamics, the mechanisms that determine certain behavior. So when I realized that I was truly passionate about these, I decided to invest and to do some serious training so now I would say I am a neuroscience-based coach. What that means is that I use neuroscience to lead my coaching sessions, but also to help my clients get to know how they work, because it's only when they, they know how they function that they can make the correct use of themselves. And I'm truly passionate about this, really. It sounds like it. And I think you know, you, you've drawn out some really good points there, and I think I want to unpack some of those as we go through the conversation. I guess before we get into that, though, you know, you said you'd, you'd been coaching and then you developed an interest in the brain and you went down the neuroscience path. But often listeners are very curious to hear how you kind of got to your career as, as a coach. Do you want to talk us a little bit through your career journey and how you ended up ultimately with a career with purpose? Yeah, definitely. So what happened is when I was 20, like most of us in my generation, I'm 44 today, what I did was just looking for a job. It wasn't a time where we were talking about purpose and values or where can I fully express myself? I mean, at that time, you were lucky if you had a job with a stable salary and that was enough. At that time, it was the boom of the new economy. I was in Italy. So IT became uh, more accessible. And that's what I started to do. I started being um, a web designer, then I moved into that career in different roles. But basically, I've been in IT for nearly 20 years of my life. And the problem is, I hated it. I totally hated it. But the thing is, I, I had no idea what else I could do. I kind of knew there must be something more for me 
but I had literally no idea who I was, what were my gifts, my talents, and, and those were the only skills I had. And I didn't go to university at that time, so I had nothing else, so I just kept going. Now, the problem is this feeling became stronger, and at one point I developed a huge interest in history, contemporary history. So I started reading and studying, and then I decided to enroll at university, but purely for my passion. But when I got my degree, I thought, wow, if I'm so passionate about this, maybe I should think about a career in history. And that's the reason why I left Italy and I moved to London, because in Italy it was too complicated to even think about a career change. So the mentality was near, really nearly, sorry, really narrow in that sense. So I thought if I go to London, more you know, uh, open-minded environment, I might find my career in history because I'm passionate about this, so that's what I should do. So I came here, I also did a master and I tried to enter the you know, academic environment and it was, every door was closed for me. At one point, I realized that was a good thing. The fact that I didn't break into the academic environment, it was actually a good thing because I realized thanks to a friend, a friend who was teaching history, she told me it, that in all honesty, she couldn't see me being in an archive alone in silence all day every single day and I hated it in that moment but the truth is she was correct in her analysis my nature my character my energy that would have been totally wasted and could have been a liability instead of an asset in that career so that's the moment where I realized okay but my energy is not a liability it's not a problem there must be somewhere a career that honors this energy, this, you know, uh, ability, let's say, to speak in public and, and to connect with people and all the things that I brought into the world. So that's the moment where I realized that the right career for us is never the one that you just like, is the one where you can fully express your gifts and turn them into an asset. And because at that moment I had, by realizing who I was and what I brought into the world, I kind of created a map of who I was. And because my brain now knew what to look for, I had no idea what coaching was, corporate training and so on. But because I had a, a map, a compass, my brain at that point was filtering things that had nothing to do with me and was more focused on uh, potential careers that could leverage my assets. And that's how I discovered coaching. And then from that moment on, you can imagine and training and studying and practicing and so on. But I would say it's been an intense journey. That's an awesome story. And I think, I mean, really lucky that you had a friend who highlighted or spotted, you know, those, I guess, attributes that, that, that you possess and that you might not have seen yourself. You know, as you said, you might have started in academia, spending your days in an archive, <clears throat> excuse me, after X amount of years finding you were really bored and hated it, and then only thinking about a career change. So I think you know, taking that, not necessarily advice, but almost like a, a kind of sounding board, whether it's a friend or a mentor. I mean, mentors are, are important and, and great to help you unlock what those attributes are that, that are going to serve you going forward in a career change or, or growing your career. It's interesting, you spoke about passion. And I think, you know, if you look at perhaps some of the subject matters, perhaps like history or music, the arts, you know, it's easy to be passionate about those things. And those are sometimes difficult to translate into, into careers, as you've described. You know, if someone has a passion for finance or IT, 
that's fairly straightforward, you know, in terms of what you can do as a career. And I mean, what would you give people, what advice would you give in terms of taking that passion and understanding then, you know, what your purpose is really, you know, how do you translate those two? Yeah, I would stop Gunter from the fact that in my opinion, there's too much talking about passion. I don't think we should consider passion as a, a compass to tell us what, in what direction we should go. Because as I just said, I was truly passionate about history. So um, that's been my main mistake. There's a lot of talking about, you know, find a job you're passionate about and it will feel like you never work one day in your life. I'm not saying that passion shouldn't be in your job. Of course, I'm truly passionate about what I'm doing. I'm saying that it shouldn't be the first thing that we should look at to find the right path. And I tell you why. We are all multi-passionate people. I'm passionate about so many things. How, how am I supposed to know which one is the right one for me? I, I'm not financially so you know, rich that I can afford many different career changes until I find the right one. And I cannot afford it from a standpoint of self-esteem as well, because every failure won't help in the next change. So um, passion is too vulnerable as a thing to give us a direction. What I think is much more valuable, and that's what I learned thanks to that friend, which was honest enough to tell me, can I tell you the truth? I don't see you there. I don't really think it's the right path for you. For you. I mean, I hated it, Gunter, I really hated it in that moment. Also because it was a financial investment in that too. But I knew deep down she was right. So what I learned in that experience is that the right career for you is the one where you can fully express yourself. And I can promise you, if you fully express yourself, of course, you're going to do something that you're passionate about. But passionate is a consequence and shouldn't be the leading point for the choice that you're going to make. So I would say that the first thing to do if you want to give an advice is to create a map of who you are, how you function, what makes you feel alive, what makes you, you know, be in the state of flow. And by flow, we mean that state where you tend to lose sense of time and space. you're so immersed in what you're doing. If you use this as a compass, of course, it will lead you to something that will make you feel alive because it's exploiting, leveraging who you are. So bottom line, the right career for you is the one where you can bring who you are into what you do. I did my, a TEDx talk on this topic as well, because in my opinion, it's summarized perfectly. The, the meaning that firstly, we should honor the being through the doing. So the doing comes from an analysis of the being. Now, the problem is you might say, but do we really know ourselves? Do we really know our gifts, our values, what we bring into the world, what we're naturally great at? So many of my clients come to me exactly for this reason. So they, they don't really know what talents they have because they tend to confuse talents with skills. So firstly, it's an analysis of who you really are. And then you can think of a career that will pick as many boxes as possible of your being. I think that's great advice. And I really love the analogy of a map. Well, it's not an analogy. It's a real map, as, as you say, you know, writing down, I think what you understand about yourself, what, what your talents and skills are. But I think also, as you said, seeking advice, because all of us have blind spots. You know, there's things that we can see that others can't. There's things that others can see that we can't. 
And of course, there's the obvious things that others see that we see, and those are probably the things you're going to write down. So I think it's great creating a collection of all of those sorts of things and using that as a bit of a guide or a map to, to drive you forward. What a lot of people I find struggle with is, 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 is making that transition then to say, well, okay, I've sat down and I've, I've understood, I've introspected, I've understood what my skills and talents and attributes are. I've asked others and I've created this set of, let, let's call them this map. How do I translate that into what the options are for me? You know, is this telling me I need to go and do data science or I need to be a coach or I should move into finance or become a lecturer? How do they translate what, what their skills inventory is, I suppose, into what a viable career might be? That's the most delicate stage indeed of the process of changing career. I think what is really, really important is understanding two things first. One, the world has changed so much. No one, not even a career coach like us, can tell you what would be the right job for you because there are so many options and so many job titles that are completely new. We don't even know what they really mean. So there's no way that you can make uh, a map and then a, a list of all the job and logically see what would be the, you know, the most available for you. This is the first thing that we need to keep in mind. The second one is that's the moment when a little bit more of trust will help. And I'm not saying trust in the universe or anything like that. I'm talking about your brain, trust your brain. Now, what I want to emphasize here is the brain works with filters and obviously so, because otherwise it would, I mean, if every time I would focus on everything, you know, I'm talking to you, I can see, you know, your guitar and your microphone and your pictures out there. If in this moment I was focusing on everything, I'll be exhausted after five minutes. So I'm talking to you, my, my filters are concentrated on the conversation and just what you're saying, and I'm ruling out everything else, and rightly so. What that means is, if it is true that the brain works in this way, and it's a function called reticular activating system, we need to know how it works, because when we embrace that we have this capacity, then we can trust it when we need it. Now, what that means is what I did was creating a map. Okay, this is everything that I bring into the world. And that includes personality as well. And my vision and everything that I've learned in my life through positive and especially negative situation, everything was on paper. The moment that I know that I'm looking for something that will exploit all that, I don't know what it is. And I shouldn't go for specific job titles because again, the job titles I have in mind are very narrow. You may have others. Is the sum of yours, mine, John's, Mary's, and Sylvia's all together that make you know, a realistic picture of what's available? That is too much. So here, I understand this is less intuitive, but the focus shouldn't be on the job market because it's too vast and complicated. It should be on the map. Once we are truly sure that we have a very clear map, we are naturally setting our filters to find something that matches with that. So I didn't go into the world saying, okay, what, what matches all that? I was just reflecting on these. And in all honesty, I was a little bit desperate because like all the others, I didn't, okay, now I have this map. What am I going to do? It just happened. But coaching, it's not the first time I've heard of it. I've heard of coaching way before I did my map, but it never crossed my mind to check what it was, how it worked, and if it could be for me. It's only after I have my filters set on finding something that exploits who I am, 
that when someone repeated, oh, but you can be a coach, oh, coaching is interesting. I said, let me check. And finally I went on Google and when I was there, I said, God, this is me. I was born to do this. I felt it, but this is interesting. I came across coaching as a word way before, never been interested. Once my filters were set, I was much more open. So it's important to understand that the focus has to be on the map first. Then what happens is, yes, you can have a look at the job market. It can be very boring though. What you'd rather want to do is to talk to people as much as possible. As I say, Gantar, I have some filters. You know, I come from IT, then I move into the, to this beautiful career. But my knowledge of what's possible in the world is very limited if we talk in terms of job titles. But mine is limited, yours is limited, but us together can bring much more. So what I suggest my clients to do is to just create this map and have a structured process where they go into the world and they show it to others and ask questions such as, who do you know that has this similar characteristic and is fulfilled in their lives? Or maybe, you know, do you know any job that would exploit these characteristics? And just explore, but from a human perspective, because there isn't a database with everything. And not just limit the research to job titles, what the job market offers, because you can always create new jobs. So years ago, when I started this business, I started as a career change coach. Why? Because that's the only thing I knew very, very well. So I exploited all my, no, I turned all my poison of years of unfulfillment into medicine for others. So that story was my best asset. So not necessarily your career change will take you to another job. You can create a job as long as you're fully aware of what your best assets are. Because if you invest in them, of course, you're going to be stronger and you're going to go faster. You're probably going to be much more successful financially because it's something that you really own it. So it is about exploiting everything that you bring into the world, like really everything. I really like that. I think, you know, looking at it now, you're almost limiting yourself if you just go through the list of job titles. As you said earlier, perhaps when we were in our 20s, 60% of the jobs that people do now didn't exist. People go into university now, once they graduate, there'll be jobs that don't exist now. So I think it's such sage advice, creating that map and creating that catalog of, of characteristics and also almost not necessarily modeling, but saying, okay, who out there in the world is similar or has a similar set of characteristics and, and look at what they're doing. I think that's really great advice. Yeah, so the, the, the job market is crazy. There are job titles that you could never really imagine. Uh, today, there are also some fancy uh, title as well. I want to give you an example of this because I know what people think at this stage. They think, well, but you know, with the characteristics I may find about myself, not necessarily there is a job. And that's what I mean when I say you can create your job. I mean, at that time, the only thing I knew is how to get unstuck when you are in a career that truly makes you unfulfilled. It's not something that someone would have probably hired me for a company. So I had to create my own business to do that. And I was doing well, even though I didn't have much experience at that time, I wasn't certified. I didn't have all the, all the assets that a very strong, successful coach has. 
But the fact is I became successful at that time simply because I was so connected with the topic. I was so present with my clients because I, I went through that. They connected exactly with the fact that I wasn't a certified coach. I haven't had a career as a coach for 20 years. I mean, the same things that I thought were limiting me. I was really worried, don't let alone that you leave a stable salary for something that is always a question mark every month. But I was very worried about the fact that I didn't have any uh, solid foundations in this career. When you start a new career, that's the big problem. But I can promise you, if you start that career on something that you really own it, people are not gonna focus on the other things because they like me specifically because I got emotional when we were talking about certain topics because I could truly understand their limitation and their fears and then financial concerns and so on. I realized that what they wanted, it's not certification or uh, solid years of experience and so on. They wanted something that truly understood them and walked, walked the path along them. And that's something I could do because I just did it. So there are a lot of filters, negative filters, limiting beliefs that we have when we make this change that we should remove because these are our filters. It's how our brain interprets and filters things, but actually other people may have different perspectives. No one ever asked me if I was certified. They didn't know what that even mean. So there are jobs that you can create as much as I created mine, helping people change their career. Seven years ago, it wasn't that common as now. There's another example that I use with my clients and they love it. When they see these, they say like, wow, okay, bro, you're right. My point is that there is always a career that you can either find or create based on who you are. Again, the focus is always on the being. Then the doing has to come later. But what, what if you do this analysis on yourself and what you find, it's something that is not sellable. And I argue that as a whole, the world is crazy enough, Gunter, to always buy everything. And we see this every day. People sometimes have crazy ideas and they, they get into the market and then they sell it a lot and it doesn't make sense to us. But the world is crazy and vast and diverse enough to buy literally everything. So what happened is I found a website and I don't know the guy. I can just make assumption. I found this, this website and, and it became my best example for the moment when clients say, okay, what if I do this analysis on myself and what I realize I bring into the world, you know, it's something that can be sold like, you know, singing, dancing, acting. And what if what you, you notice your gift, your best gift is for example, Cuddling. Cuddling. No, it might be your best gift in the world. Maybe you are a very good cuddler. I mean, what can you do with that? But someone did it. It's called cuddlist.com. Not wow. only this guy expressed fully his being through the doing, but he created his website and he started being a professional cuddler. You know, this is important. I know it can make us smile. But it is really important that we produce a level of oxytocin that is the hormone that is uh, generated thanks to a sense of belonging and physical contact. It makes us feel better. So what if you're single? Professional cuddlers. 
So not only he, he started his career in these, but he also created a certification program and now he's certifying other professional cadres uh, all over the world. But the point here is how smart it is to do, this is the meaning of really trusting yourself. Trust that whatever find inside yourself, if you've been given this gift, there must be a reason. Your job is to find that reason. Like I have a gift hasn't been given to me just for the sake of it. If I've been given a gift, it's because I'm meant to use it. And if you cannot find where to use it, it's more your problem, your limitation, rather than an inability of the world to accept it or invest in it. And you can imagine this guy, as I said, I don't know his story, but I can imagine that the moment this guy had this idea, he may have encountered some laughing or doubts from friends and family, like, come on, girlfriend, maybe. <laughs> like, come on. So think about how strong he must have been and how much he believed in himself to break through these imposed limitations and keep going with his ideas, which is now doing very well. So that's the meaning of trusting yourself. Trust that if you've been given this gift, there is a reason. Your job is to find that reason. And I can promise you, if you use your gift, of course you will be passionate about what you're doing. I just advocate to not use passion as a leading beat in the whole journey. I think that's a really great example. I'm, I'm going to check out the website after we're done on the interview. Uh, and I think, you, you know, why that resonates is because I'll talk to people. Uh, that's that's my dog barking. Apologies. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, you talk to someone who's maybe been in a corporate career for 10, 20, 30 years and they're not finding fulfillment. They're looking at other options and they introspect and they come to the conclusion that I don't really have any skills other than those core finance skills. And I think that is a great example of someone, you know, looking at what they, you know, something totally out of the ordinary. Let me build a, a career and a business around it. So I think that's, that's um, a good lesson to anyone who doesn't think they have skills beyond the core skills, uh, the functional skills that they've been paid to deliver on a day-to-day -day basis. So, you know, so there's good examples. The example of yourself starting your own business, the example of this guy starting Cuddlist.com. What are other options that people might want to consider that they might not normally think about? I know one of the things we spoke about before the before this show was nonprofits, for example. And it's sometimes not even a thought to people to enter a career in, in the nonprofit sector. I mean, what are your thoughts on finding, I guess, careers outside of the core commercial type of day-to-day -day stuff that many of us do get involved in? Uh, that's a great question, Gunter. It's, it's another topic I'm really passionate about because, again, when I, when I was in Italy, I was totally stuck because the only thing that really counted in my environment was having a salary. I moved to London, and even though I wanted to change, I couldn't because I kept thinking in the same old way. So when I moved to London, I wanted to do what the majority of my clients want to do. They always say that they want to make an impact. I think the reason why the corporate world is losing so many people, it's because what we are realizing is that we want to see the impact of what we're doing. We want to know that our day matters beyond the money. And many jobs, especially in finance and banking and IT, they don't allow that. So what happened is I was 
in, in, in this new country with lots of amazing opportunities, I just couldn't see them. Again, my filters were ruling out a lot of things because I didn't know they were possible. And talking about the charity sector, that's exactly what I, what I couldn't see. So I ended up, when I moved into London, I ended up doing IT again, and I hated it again. Only after years of living in London, I realized that I could have done the same job, which, okay, I hated it. But at least I could have seen the impact if I was doing the same job for Save the Children, for example, or Amnesty International or any other great charity. I just didn't know I could have worked for a charity because in Italy it doesn't work in this way. Everything is, is very different. So I think the US uh, and the UK are really lacking in this sense because there are careers with salaries, which is a big news for me in that job. So when I realized this, I wanted to explore and then I found an entire world of opportunities I didn't even know existed. And I realized that the charity sector is huge, like really huge. So what happened is I started being passionate about these. And of course, when I changed my career, I made a lot of mistakes going to different companies and moving from IT to digital marketing before I could you know, find a stable salary in my coaching journey. One of these jobs that I took at that time was a job site specialized in the charity sector. It's the biggest in the UK, it's called Charity Job. There, I discovered amazing things. I discovered that you can really have a salary and be fulfilled and make an impact and love the environment you work in. So the advice that I want to give to people is to just really be open to opportunities. I know that the charity sector suffered suffer a lot of some, some are misconceptions, some are true information. For example, about salary. A lot of people rule out the charity sector because they think it's just very low salary. And I admit that some salaries are low and that is true. But I would advocate that if you are, if, you, if you're considering the charity sector because you discovered you have a big gift on a specific subject, what you need to prove is that you're the best for what you do. Now, charities do a lot of amazing things but they also have to be careful about the money that they spend and they have to raise as many as possible. If, you, if you're the best at these two things or somehow your contribution can help with these two things, they'd love to have you on board, of course, but they only hire the best because they cannot afford to waste money. So your job is to be so confident in everything that you bring into the world and find the right place and the right role so you can be the best of the best. And because you will be passionate and fulfilled, you will have extra energy that will give you more ideas. It will give you more to sustain that job rather than perhaps the previous one you have incorporated. So that, there are a lot of things to say about the charity sector, but uh, the, the, the most important is that people who work there tend to stay there because it is fulfilling. Because you know now that money are not enough and that you can see the impact of what you're doing. And back about salary, it's not even true that they are all low. To be honest, the lower specialization level tends to have a lower salary. But the more specialized you are, you are the better it is. And this must be this way, Gunter. Otherwise, the charity sector wouldn't be so big. It's not only rich people who work for charities. That's obviously not true. What it is true is that you have to be the best of the best. 
So many roles like marketing managers or director and so on, of course, they have a great salary anyway, because otherwise it wouldn't be sustainable. So all these arguments that I hear about sometimes, or even on social media, is that charities don't pay enough, is not entirely true. It depends on the level of the specialization and you know what you can do for the charity. If you can help them make the best use of their money, of course, they'll love to have you on board because that's exactly what they need to do. And the other misconception is about the fact that the top level tend to earn, earn too much, maybe six-figure salary. But I want to raise a point here. I understand that sometimes the media present the topic in the wrong way. Like, okay, I'm giving all my money and I don't earn much and I'm giving my money to charities. And then this money always go to the CEO salary. That's not true. That's not correct. Yeah, but the thing is to manage that organization as complex as it is, you need brilliant minds. The best way to do this is to go where brilliant minds are and brilliant minds often are incorporate and they have a certain lifestyle. Now, if you wanna grab them and bring them into your charity, you can't ask them, you can't simply to you know, take their kids out of private school or, or other things. You just wanna have the best of the best, maybe negotiate a bit, they will never earn as much as in a bank, that's obvious, but they know how to make the best use of the money. So you wanna steal these people from corporate and bring them into charity, you have to give them something. And if it wasn't for them, probably the whole organization wouldn't be there anyway. So it makes no sense in my opinion to complain about the fact that the top um, executives earn as much. You need to judge what they're doing with that money. If they're doing well, it's absolutely fine. That organization couldn't work without them. So it's a big topic, but if your audience want to know more, I distilled all this information in a series on YouTube, a video series that are 32 episodes on how the charity sector works, how you can do your applications, for example, if you want to move from corporate to charities, your CV has to be different. How is explained in one of these videos. If they go on my website, that is brunadepalo.com, in the career section, there's a career, um, sorry, there's a video series. It's called Nine to Alive. I love the name. Yeah, me too. I love it as well. It's, it's where I help people uh, turn their nine to five into nine to alive. A career that makes you feel alive because it exploits what you bring into the world. And it also makes a strong, visible, tangible impact. So th there are a lot of things to say. We can't cover all of that now, but I would say definitely deserves a thought. It's, it's much easier to find a career that exploits your gifts in the charity sector because there's a variety of roles that you would never find in corporate rather than in the typical corporate world. So at least something to consider, I would say. Absolutely. I mean, you, you, you've, you've covered off quite a lot there. And what I'll do for the listeners is I'll post the link in the show notes so they can go to that um, video series. Uh, along with the link to to your website, I think in terms of the nonprofits, you know, I, I always say every business is in the business of staying in business. And if a nonprofit can't stay in business, it's not going to be any good to the community or the audience that it serves. So, you're absolutely right in terms of saying, you know, nonprofits need strong leadership. They need people with skills and and, and talents, and they should obviously be suitably rewarded. 
they face the same, if not more problems, complex problems, I think that corporates face, you know, having done some work with a nonprofit, 600 stores on the on the high street, you know, selling pre-owned goods. How do they best price them? How do they discount them? How do they move stock through? How do they highlight which are valuable items that shouldn't be discounted? How do they manage their stakeholders? You know, they've got different stakeholders in terms of researchers, people who volunteer their time, people who donate. It's a complex environment. So I think looking at all of those kind of business challenges, I say in, in inverted commas, there's certainly roles out there that, you know, you can lift and shift from the corporate world and, and apply your talents in, in a nonprofit role. So yeah, I think, yeah, I'll post those, those videos and uh, people can go and have a look at them. I think one of the things I'm also keen to understand and, and the listeners are always keen on as well is, is the concept of transferable skills. And I think, you know, what's often not apparent is these skills that I have now, how can I apply them elsewhere? It, for example, in the nonprofit sector, how do people uh, go about kind of identifying those transferable skills and perhaps reframing them to say, well, these could serve me elsewhere, perhaps in this, this role I've never thought about before? Very good question. And I like the fact that it's a double-folded question, like what, how do I identify them and how to reframe them? Because that's the most important thing, is how you present them. And to present them properly in a, and sell them, you need to be persuaded as first that they can be uh, valuable in a different environment. So I know when we talk about transferable skills, generally we tend to talk about negotiation, teamworking, communication, and so on. My suggestion is to stay away from these words because these are too common and they're not credible anymore. Of course, trans, you, you know, you're a communicator and that's transferable, but that's what everyone else write on a CV. My point is that when, especially when you change your career in every application, but especially when you change, you, you really wanna shine. When you change your career, generally you have a problem and that is that you have less experience than your competitors other applicants in that role. What you need to do is you, you have to counterbalance that lack of experience with something else. That's something else. One of the things is the language that you use in your CV. You really want to wow them. If you write a CV where your transferable skills are communication, negotiation, team working, you're not wowing them. You're telling them exactly what other people are telling them. So the first thing that we need to do is to identify them. And yes, it can be communication, but you want to reframe them. You want to write them in a way that it makes it exciting. It makes, it, it makes them curious. So in terms of communication, instead of this, you can write what is specifically that you do so well, uniquely well in communication. So it could be, for example, storytelling. Maybe you have an ability in uh, communicating empathically with people by using stories and keeping them glued to the screen when you speak on Zoom in meetings, for example. You want to emphasize something more specific, something that is more unique, tailored to you. Because when they read a CV, their brain just, you know, it's, it's switched off by the fact that they see continuously the same things. The brain wants novelty. So tell them something new. And if you don't have anything new, tell them something that is common, but in a new way. So it's important to, to really understand, I'm not saying that negotiation is not a transferable skill. I'm saying that you wanna phrase it in a way 
that makes it new and exciting and more resonant with your personality. Now, how to identify them? I would say, instead of looking at the job, which isn't the most common thing to do, you now you look at your job and say, okay, what, what is that I could be transferred somewhere else? I would say that perhaps the best thing to do is to look at your life and not just your job. Because if you look at what, what you do well, that is transferable as well. Then it is possible that what you do well, you are using it in your job. But if you limit your research to your job, it's already a narrow vision of what you bring into the world. So look at what in your life, which includes the work, but more broadly, look at your life and what kind of compliments you tend to receive from others. What is that you do consistently well? What is that you notice it comes easy for you? And then see how well you utilize these things into your work and find a way to reframe these in an exciting way to put into your application. Okay, that's cool. That's for this two, yeah, the two takeaways there for me are one, the kind of reframing, you know, as you say, and, and having looked at hundreds of CVs myself, you, you know, you, you do get bored. You like to say, okay, how is this different from the one before? So reframing those and adding some form of, of differentiator, I think is great. And then secondly, I think in identifying those skills, looking outside of your career and your job, looking at your personal life, looking at your family, looking at your friends. I think, I think those are great bits of advice that, that kind of talks to, I think some of the, you know, the sorts of skills that you would put on your CV, but I think there's some, and I want to draw this back to your opening statements around your journey in terms of neuroscience. And, you know, you said you did a lot of research at the start of your journey around regulating stress and handling emotions. And what's your feeling on those, those sorts of skills to develop, not necessarily to put on your CV, but to have a skills to manage yourself and understand yourself? For me, this is key, Gunter, because my life has changed a lot since I, I started being in touch with myself and the ability to regulate what's going on and, and understanding it. And I can see this has a huge impact on clients as well. When they understand how they function, they know what to do. They understand themselves better, but also they understand others better because what they might judge as a mistreatment or an annoying behavior and so on, once they understand what are the mechanisms that are happening in the, in the brain, the dynamics that trigger a certain behavior, they're much more willing to understand it it doesn't mean accept it, but understand it, that that person is not shouting at you because they don't believe in you or because they think that you're not good enough or whatever, that something might have happened in that brain that makes them behave in that way and they might not even recognize it. It's a higher level of understanding of human behavior, but it all comes from understanding yourself much better. So what do we mean with stress, for example? No, this word is so much abused. We all know what it is, but if you go there and try to describe it, 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 it's not tangible. So stress means many things, but one of these is hijacked system by something that happened inside. If you understand what happened, you can find your own way, not following Bruna's techniques or what you read into the book, because at the moment where you feel stressed, you won't remember them. But if you understand deeply what is going on and why in that moment you feel so stressed or you're panicking or you're paralyzed, you know, and this is the type of empowerment that as coaches we have to do, 
that you know in that moment what to do and how to bring yourself back. So one of the signs of stress is, for example, you know, that your brain can't think properly. It's like spinning. Now imagine you had a deadline, it's just in three minutes and you're so behind and you are asked to go on stage and speak about that, whatever. Your brain might spin so much, you can't really think. Now, what happens is generally, your, the, the pace of your thought is very much related to the, the pace of your breath. And also you might notice that in that moment, your heart starts spinning as well, beating very fast as well. So the three things are strictly related. You can't have a spinning brain and a calm heart and a calm breath. It doesn't work in this way. Now, you, in that moment, if you understand this mechanism, you know that you cannot stop your brain as well as you cannot slow down your heart rate. But you know that you can control your breath. It's the only thing that you can do. And if you learn to control this in that moment, if you calm down these, you will calm down these other two as well, the brain and the, and the heart rate. If you know these, that everything is going back to a normal state, that makes you able to think more properly. But if I give you an advice like, hey, when you feel stressed, just slow down and breathe slowly. Come on, Gante, we, we've heard of this many times, millions of times. But in the moment, we tend to forget. But if in, in a session you practice it, you talk about it and you remember it because your coach keep reminding you of this, that becomes second nature at one point. And then you're more in control of how it all um, fits together. So that's the value of understanding the correct functioning of yourself. The more you understand, the more you own it and you can use it. I think that's great. And uh, again, the takeaway there is, you know, knowing yourself will help you know others. And, you know, even in that example, you can see when someone else is in distress or, 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 or nervous and, you know, act accordingly. So I think that's great advice. All right, brilliant. I'd like to, we, I want to be very respectful of your diary. And so I'd, you know, probably end off with a couple of short questions. One prompted by your collection of books that I can see and, you know, put you on the spot and ask you if there's any particular book that, that stands out for you that you'd recommend listeners get their hands on? One that I recommend often, it can be a little bit intense, but it's absolutely fascinating. It is about the brain and it explains a lot about how we work and how change occur. It's called uh, The Brain That Changed Itself by Norman Deutsch. And it's based on research and it's all the real stories of people who change their lives by changing their brain. You know, in this industry, there's a lot of talking about transform your life, change your life and so on. Yeah, but what does it mean and how does it happen? Again, it's when you look at how the brain works and particularly at neuroplasticity, which is the ability of the brain to change, is when you understand how neuroplasticity works, that you understand how human behavior can change. So that book is filled with super inspiring stories of people who made like, when I say changes, I mean someone who had a stroke, a heart attack, got paralyzed, and by using the mind, by doing exercises with the mind, managed to repair, self-repair that part of the brain and now is walking again. This type of change. So if they're capable of doing this, you, me, your audience and everyone else around, we can do everything else. So that's the power of understanding how your brain works and what you can do. So that, that's the first one that comes to mind. Highly recommended. 
Okay, great. And I'll get a link on the uh, show notes as well for listeners to find that book easily. And then finally, uh, you mentioned your website, you mentioned the YouTube channel, but how do people learn best, learn more about you or get in touch if they want to have a chat? More than welcome. My website is www.brunadepalo.com. And excitingly, I am creating a new website, which will be live soon. So if your audience wants to join my newsletter, I will announce the launch of the new website with lots of interesting neuroscience-based uh, tools and techniques specifically to improve our life and career. And it will be mostly about career change. If they want to join my newsletter, they will be aware when it's launched. So thank you for this opportunity. All right, brilliant. I'll, I'll get those links up as well. Uh, and yeah, finally, thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed the chat. I've learned loads. I've got some, some good tips to continue my career research and, and learn more. So thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and experience. My pleasure, Ganta. Thank you so much and have a great day. Thanks, you too, Bruna. Speak soon. Bye-bye.